Hello and welcome to FOSSI, the free and open source yearly conference run by Software Freedom Conservancy here in Portland, Oregon. Very excited to be here today. Also excited to sit across from my guest, who is Karen Sandler, the wonderful, illustrious, and previously on the podcast recently. Very excited to have you here, Karen. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited you're here, Richard. Really? Because you look a bit tired and exhausted. No offense, you look great, but also... Man, organizing a first conference is a lot of work. It is a lot of work, but actually I have a secret, which is that the staff of SFC is so incredible. And I know that probably every executive director says that and says, my organization's fantastic and my staff is wonderful. (laughs) But in fact, it is true. Yeah, Pono is excellent. Super, super useful. Tracy is amazing. Brought me lunch today. There's a bonus or something in their future. You know, charities give great bonuses and perks. I bet. We yeah. keep good health care, which That's is really good. sad that we need that in the United States, but we really do. Yeah. We don't pay well otherwise, but you do get to work on the things you care about. And that's important. That's amazing. I love that. So I know you've been having a breakneck speed, making sure that this whole thing works. Tell me what's been your favorite part so well, far. Just it happening. I cool. mean, I used to go to OSCON and OSCON was honestly, I mean, it was probably almost an order of magnitude larger in terms of attendees at that by the time I was going. But it was like this huge conference that I loved going to because I saw so many amazing people and had so many great hallway track conversations. And this conference is like you stripped out all of the noise from us. <laughs> There's no corporate stuff. There's no like BS. It's just all the really great conversations about software freedom and all of the things I was excited to go to. So we've got things that are inspired by OSCON, but things that were also inspired by Linux Conf Australia and also by FOSDEM. Mm. So we have community organized tracks with volunteers running content. I'm really excited. We have no sponsored keynotes. Mm. So it's all just really great content that I want to see, only I can't because I'm organizing, but it's all being recorded. I've only been to three talks so far. One of them was mine. But the other ones I went to were amazing. Rosanna Yuan from Gnome gave a great one on how to build crosswords using Gnome, which was really, really fun. She was a, one of the early contributors to Gnome, too. It's Gnome, by the way. I mean, you can pronounce it however you want, but the G is for the GNU, which is traditionally for freedom. And even though the Gnome project has moved away from the GNU project for a variety of reasons that are like totally topics for another entire conversation, sometimes we like saying Gnome because it's like a distinguishing fun Gnome. I used to be executive director of Gnome. I did anyway, know that. I did know that. Zana gives a really good talk about crosswords. I'm currently really busy. Karen, I would love to talk to you further, but I need to look up Gnome on Wiktionary to see the actual IPA pronunciation because I feel like maybe that's not the case and I'm doing it wrong. And so that's what I'm doing at Wait, the Wait, at the Gnome Foundation? Yeah, see, I was pronouncing it because it comes from ancient Greek, Gnomon. So I'm looking now at the pronunciation on English on the Wiktionary and it, there's no G in that. So I'm going to have to fix that. Yeah. And say, if you're talking about GNOME, the project, use a G. I mean, some people don't. And the Latin Americans, of course, call it GNOME. Cool. Often. I like it. And I probably was pedantic by even talking about it, but I like it. Pedants, welcome. There's also no entry on Wiktionary for Spanish. So I know what my next Wikipedia entry is going to be. Get on it. I will. We just talked about a talk that I went to. Have you been to any of the talks? I have not. Wait, actually, <laughs> I did, go, I did go to the, well, I was running the, to all the main track sessions because I'm seeing them. So I did go to the keynote session this morning, Red Hat Enterprise Linux. And it was an amazing panel. And there was like a reporter there. So I'm curious to see if there's going to be some press coming out of it. But 
a highly controversial topic and it was really fascinating. So SFC sits at this weird junction of FOSS and OSS and FLOSS and legal stuff gets involved with you all. So I'm just curious, what controversies have you had to weather? Has it been hard to try to have this conference going when people are sitting on both sides of the philosophical aisle around open source? I don't know. I mean, I think that controversies are always more interesting when you get people to come together to argue about them. That's why I'm asking on a public setting. So what's been hard? Like about the conference? Not too much, actually. There's Mm. been so much excitement about it. The really hard thing is that budget's really down. (laughs) So, and it's a first year conference and organizing conferences is really hard. And so everything takes a lot longer than you expect, especially if you plan to do it all with free and open source software only, which is what we do. And so just the conference website, all the nuts and bolts take a lot longer, but it's worth it. Really, it's SFC's mission is to do everything as ethically as we can and to like address the most serious problems that prevent us from having ethical technology as a public. And so this conference is a reflection of that. And we try to do things like from the topics of our keynotes, we've got a right to repair panel tomorrow and we're celebrating the thousand outreach interns on Sunday. I'm so excited. So there's all that. But then the way we do things, we try to do them ethically. So we have a lot of COVID precautions and it's exhausting to do all of these things. But we have there's an air filter right here in this room with us. And all of our design materials were done by an outreach alum. Things like that. We're just trying to make other video people are themselves a charity who train. Well, there are two charities. There's one Open Signal, which is a community organization where people can come in and rent TV studios and they teach people how to use field cameras. Cool. And the other is Field of Noise, where So the room that we're in is all listeners. We're in a room with seats. That's a presentation room. And there are microphone stands around and the projection screen and all that was set up and wired by high school students who were being trained to run live events. It did seem a bit young. (laughs) That is really cool. I feel better about yelling at them for entering in the middle of a podcast. So it's like it's everything about this conference we're trying to do like the right way to like bring maximum goodness. That's really exciting. I think I have the answer to this. I'm going to ask it anyway. This is being recorded on a, a Mac. I'm using Road Connect software, which my editor, Paul Barr, suggested. It is not open source. I failed. I failed. And I'm sure that there are things that you have used that have also not been open source. You suggested we use the Macs to get to our venue two nights ago or last night. But the Macs, of course, runs on some proprietary software. Where do you draw the line between the amount of effort you have to use to try to be perfect versus just we need to get stuff done? Such a good question, because if we at SFC only used free and open source software, we would do nothing but wait online at the bank. Yep. Right? Like there are things that you have to make those decisions on. And a lot of people, especially in this crowd, in the like the very, I want to say hardcore software freedom space historically, they have been perfectionists. And sort of we've all sort of felt guilty and bad if we've used some proprietary software. <laughs> right. And like people we've harassed, like we've like agitated to get people to stop using proprietary software. And that's right. But no one can live in the world today without using some proprietary software. You yeah. simply can't book your own flights. You can't deal with a bank. I mean, you could, but you would do nothing else than deal with your very basic logistics. So the line is really like, for me, it's that you have to think about it, like make your choices wisely. How do I make choices that will increase freedom, not just for myself, but for other people? Sometimes at SFC, we use some proprietary software so that we can offer solutions to our sustainers or our member project contributors or volunteers don't have to use any proprietary software. So it's just those like, like, let's be thoughtful about it. 
push for better solutions and not beat ourselves up when we have to use some proprietary stuff. For here's a good example. I've got a Fitbit on. I can't stand that I have this proprietary tracker on my body. But as I mentioned in the previous podcast, which all of your very serious, sustained listeners will have heard already, <laughs> go back and listen. It's really interesting. I have a heart condition. And so this Fitbit is basically looking for me, like it's, I can use it when I think I have an irregular heartbeat and it will tell me if I'm in a normal sinus rhythm. And that's something that like it has FDA approval. Like it's not something that I look forward to a world where I can replace the software so that I can disable all of the other tracking mechanisms. But for now, I just don't connect it with a phone and I can have the heart information and that's okay. I don't love it. But here I am walking around Fossey wearing a proprietary tracker as the executive director of Software Freedom Conservancy. And I'm proud about my choices because that's how we can live with software freedom is when we make realistic choices about what we need and how we can live. I love that. I'm really glad you mentioned Retro Repair. We just had Kyle Weens on the podcast. And uh, I know you were having a cool conversation that I just totally interrupted to pull you in here. Can you tell me a bit more about, have you had any good coffee chat conversations with anyone while you've been here? Yes. And that one with Kyle was so cool because I've never met Kyle before in person, but we've like talked a lot over the years and worked together a bunch. He and I both work on 1201 materials. 1201 refers to the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Cool. And it's this part, this awful part of the Copyright Act. Uncool. Yeah. Where people are prohibited from circumventing technological protection measures in order to do something with their equipment. So like if you're trying to disable DRM to be able to listen to music that you purchased, or if you want to modify a device in some way, we want to repair a device. The Digital Millennium Copyright Act, the 1201 provision gets in the way and the Copyright Office and the and Congress has dealt with this by having a triennial review process where every three years people can come and petition and say, I want an exemption hmm. from 1201. And the Copyright Office has been granting them. And so Kyle and I have been coordinating recently a lot because it's the renewal process. And SFC got renewed our smart TV exemption, our exemption for routers. So you can put OpenWRT on your routers because they're a member project of us. Yep. One that you can circumvent DRM and other technological protection measures in order to investigate if someone's violating the DPL, for example, hmm. or doing another copyright violation. And then also the circumvent for privacy. And boy, we have a lot of them, so I'm listening to them all. And I'm personally involved in a medical device data exemption. And so I had this awesome conversation with Kyle just now about there's a provision that you can't get an exemption from, which basically we call called the trafficking provision because it says you can't traffic in, like you can't share the information that would help somebody else circumvent. And so even though you can get exemptions for those activities, you can't go and share your solutions with other people legitimately. Like the trafficking part, you can't ship code that like you can't. So it's like highly limited. Well, I see your gears rolling and I want to talk about this with you in great depth. Though I'm looking at your clock and or my clock and seeing we have Oh, okay. You got three minutes. Woo! We can do so much in three minutes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, describe. So this is data trafficking, right? Not human trafficking. It's not else. human trafficking okay. or trafficking in products. And the, but they use the term trafficking in the provision. So that's why. And it's such a weird word. And so that's why everybody's like the trafficking. Well, half of the government uses the word cyber still. So oh things happen. <laughs> Fine. So Interesting. That was a cool conversation. And like, yeah. they're introducing legislation that they hope will eviscerate that provision in some way. Because it's like having to apply for exemptions that are then quite limited in what they help with is just ridiculous. So I have a silly question. I'm not an expert and you're not my lawyer, but hypothetically, 
Like, why do you bother dealing so much with U.S. law when we could just move to a country that doesn't have all these laws and just do all the cool stuff we need to do to make these things happen? Like, there's no jurisdiction in whether or not you can do something, say, in uh, Polynesia. Let's make up a country, right? Not a real country, just to be clear. But in Polynesia, I can still download U.S. code and modify it and publish it and do all sorts of things. So why are you so focused on like U.S. law versus? So come and visit me in my flat in Polynesia. We'll have such a good time. Oh, having the palm cocktails. trees, the penguins. Well, because in order for something to have global impact, it has to be used in the places around the world where where global impact happens. People, yeah. yeah, and so and sadly, countries around the world have been following the United States example, yeah. and so we see that especially with copyright law where our U.S. centric mode where we've had like ever lengthening copyright terms and just all this kind of, yeah, all of that has been shipped worldwide and other countries continually match what we do. And so it's really a disaster. Secondly, while it's true that I am not your lawyer and won't give you legal advice, I am a lawyer in the United States admitted to the state of New York and I am not admitted in Polynesia. And I actually don't know what Polynesia requires for lawyers, but I think I might have to take the Polynesia bar exam. A tie. <laughs> that's, that's it. Just have to wear a tie and you're fine. <laughs> Wonderful state. Highly but suggested. It's so hot in Polynesia and the tie is going to be so restrictive. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Thank you for answering that question. It always just kind of annoys me to think about the fact that like I could move my laptop and do all of my work somewhere else with internet access. And yet we're always stuck dealing with horrible provisions under U.S. law over and over and over again, or under EU law over and over and over again, where they're doing things that like aren't great towards user rights. But now bear in mind that the companies that oppose this work are very resourced. And when they see actions to bust up that power, they spend those resources to shut it down, which means that Falunija is going to have huge lobbying. If we go to any of those places where there's what we have done in the past and often the laws start to change because those companies have significant corporate interests. Which is why you have, say, countries in the Caribbean like Antigua voting for whaling, right? They have no need to do that, but they want to have investment from large countries that do like whaling, such as, say, Japan. So this is really, really weird case where small countries have lobbying from countries that say, oh, you have a seat at the table here. Why don't you vote? Um, Yeah, I mean, it's really difficult. One thing I'm grateful about living in the United States is that I can criticize it and I do so regularly. Me too. Yeah, yeah. right? I mean, that's sweet. Can we high five? Yeah. Yeah. So like, and I'm grateful that we can live in a place where we can do this work. Yep. I don't know. There may be another place that we should go that we could work on it more. I just think being able to work within systems where we know the groundwork and we can fight transparently against those companies that are enacting those power moves is going to be better for us. But I think that the best way is to have a global movement the way we do and to have people all over the world working together. Yep. Plus, like my dying uncle said, with great power comes great responsibility, (laughs) which is why I go out and fight crime as Spider-Man. Karen, this was really, really great. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for throwing this conference. It's very, very exciting. Where can people learn more about Software Freedom Conservancy? SFConservancy.org. Where can people learn more about you? SFConservancy.org. Exciting. One in the same entity. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Richard. Listeners, I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. If you're curious about FOSSI, where these were recorded, go to sfconservancy.org, to the Software Freedom Conservancy's website, where you can learn more about it. It's been really, really fun to be here and have these great conversations about free and open source software. Of course, if you've liked this podcast, please let us know. Like us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to it. Email us at 
podcast at sustainoss.org. Give us any thoughts or comments or queries or complaints. We would love to hear them. And of course, please tell your friends. Word of mouth is the single best way to get more listeners on this podcast. And hopefully you think that that's something we should have. If you would like to donate, you can go to Open Collective to Sustain OSS, where you can donate to the production cost for this podcast, which is not free. So that would be super, super great. And of course, you can join in the conversation yourself by going to discourse at sustainoss.org to go chat. And you can follow us on Twitter at sustainoss, on Mastodon, and I believe on Blue Sky. So thank you so much for listening and take care. Bye.